Looking back on the week that was with a razor wit, irreverent humour and profound political and cultural insights, this is The James McPherson Show. Greens leader Adam Bant has outlined his vision to make Australia completely reliant on renewable energy by 2030 in a plan entitled Zero Emissions, Zero Votes. The bold plan to return Australia to a medieval period before Australia was even discovered was unveiled at the weekend to a gathering of all federal Greens MPs. Mr Bant, speaking at a broom cupboard to himself, said he believed Australia could have a zero emissions economy with full employment within a decade. He also announced that trees could taste like chocolate and that pots of gold could be harvested from rainbows before giving himself an enthusiastic round of applause. We could get to zero emissions within Australia and become a renewable energy superpower, he said, warning that the Earth faced certain destructions from the Decepticons if action was not taken immediately. We've got to follow the science, and what the science is telling us is that we are heading towards a cliff at 200 kilometres an hour, strapped to a climate bomb that during our children's lifetime will cause sea levels to rise by a couple of metres and our cities to go underwater. Mr Bant later admitted none of that was actual science, but it's very dramatic, so it's as good as science. No, actually, it's better than science, he said. Opening the meeting up for questions, Mr Bant asked what a renewable energy superpower would look like, and he replied, like a superpower but with sunbeams. He responded to his answer to his question with squeals of delight. When the crowd, by which we mean Mr. Bant, had calmed down, Mr. Bant warned that the weather was becoming more unpredictable due to climate change. And that is why it makes sense to rely entirely on energy that is dependent on the weather that is becoming more unpredictable due to climate change, he said. Mr. Bant dismissed concerns that solar power was unreliable. He said he was confident that with the right investment, technology to, quote, get rid of cloudy days and to eliminate nighttime completely, end quote, could be developed. Think how many people we can employ to come up with solutions for things like that, he said. A government I lead will tax businesses that produce actual things into oblivion in order to fund a massive public service working on harebrained schemes such as I've just described. And don't worry, I've got plenty more where that came from. Mr. Bant urged all the Greens who'd been voted into the lower house at the last election, by which we mean himself, to ignore critics who said he would eventually run out of other people's money to spend. When we run out of businesses to tax, we'll just print our own money, he said. It's worked out well for our comrades in Venezuela who, incidentally, have promised to print their own money to buy the sunlight we export. Mr. Bant said his zero emissions, zero votes plan would provide millions of new jobs that would result in full employment. Jobs in the zero emissions economy would include candle makers, wood choppers, blacksmiths, cart makers, dairy maids, wind chime makers, and basket weavers. And I think we all know a certain green senator who would make a fine court jester, he said, prompting howls of laughter from himself that could be heard from outside the cupboard. Mr. Bant dismissed fears that the society he envisaged would be ripe for conquest by an industrial superpower like China. You have to remember that we will be an energy, renewable energy superpower. So it's a case of one superpower cancelling the other superpower out, he said. It's primary school math. The Greens leader said his plan would cost $250 billion over the next 10 years. 
That's not a lot of money when you consider we're saving the planet from a climate emergency, he said. When asked to put the amount in shekels, which will become the official currency under a Greens government, (laughs) Mr. Bant promised himself he would get back to himself later in the day. I have set a decade, decade deadline to phase out cheap, reliable, abundant energy in order to avoid going over a cliff, at which point global warming becomes almost as unstoppable as my defeat at the next election, he said. Welcome to the James McPherson Show on this Tuesday, October the 6th, 2020. Well, in the past couple of days, Donald Trump and his wife have been diagnosed with COVID-19, sending the election uh, into chaos and causing apoplexy amongst the left. This after Trump had already caused the left to go into a meltdown because he nominated Amy Coney Barrett as the new Supreme Court judge. Uh, The Associated Press have been trying to dig up dirt, as have all the leftists, on Trump's Supreme Court nominee. And uh, the Associated Press came up with this news headline, Amy Coney Barrett, President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, has close ties to a charismatic Christian group (gasps) that holds men are divinely ordained as the head of the family. Shock horror. Well... The implication, of course, is that Amy Coney Barrett belongs to some weird fringe Christian group. Anyone who believes that Charismatics or Pentecostals are fringe simply proves they know nothing about world religions at all, since Charismatics slash Pentecostals are the fastest growing part of the church all over the world and have been for the last 50 years. But anyway, their implication is that uh, she belongs to some fringe religious group that uh, practices misogyny because they believe that the man is the head of the family. Well, if it's true she belongs to a Christian group that believes that men are the divinely head of the family, it certainly hasn't done her any harm. Uh, Associated Press uh, report that she's part of this group where men are the head of the family, but she's also been nominated nominated as a Supreme Court judge. So this um, alleged misogyny has certainly not seemed to hold her back at all. Um, she's doing quite well. Uh, But anyway, that's typical of the left. They uh, want to turn everything into a crisis and use every opportunity they can to disparage conservatives. Um, It's funny, though, you know, um, because she's part of a Christian group that believes men are the head of the family. (gasps) That's terrible. Well, Joe Biden thinks that men turn into women by changing a pronoun. Um, You tell me what is more bizarre. And, um, and more ridiculous. But anyway, um, we could go on and on with examples of stupidity from the left, um, but we simply don't have time. So welcome to the show. Why don't we just get straight into it? Speaking of the left um, and and all the haters, uh, nothing demonstrated the, the propensity of the left to hate. Um, and I'm not saying that people on the right don't engage in um, – foul behavior at times, but uh, certainly it seems far more prominent on the left and and prominent members of the left are unashamed at coming out with just the most outrageous stuff. And, and it was demonstrated so clearly when Trump and his wife were diagnosed with coronavirus. We're going to talk about that and uh, some other things. So enjoy the show. Great to have you company. President Trump contracted coronavirus and, in response, 
the world held a competition to determine who was the most awful person. Competition was fierce. Many of the same people who'd spent the week demanding President Trump condemn hate immediately wished him dead when it was revealed he had COVID-19. New York Times film critic Simon Abrams made a strong play for most awful person when he tweeted, for once I'm rooting for the virus. Former Liberal Party leader John Hewson was an early entry from Australia. Hewson, who is best known for losing an unlosable election, didn't offer any wishes to the man who's famous for winning an unwinnable election. He simply tweeted, question to Donald, can you really get ill from a hoax? It was a fair effort at awful, but Hewson was no match for journalist Jane Caro. Does Trump really have COVID? Is this bullshit or what? She tweeted. And then she added, for the record, I'll be delighted to have my doubts about Trump's COVID diagnosis proved wrong. Charming. She later deleted the tweet, but not before hundreds of her followers had liked her ability to put their awful into a pithy sentence they had the good sense not to write. She was joined by hosts of Network 10's The Project, who boast that the program is news delivered differently when news distorted regularly would be a more accurate description. Like Caro, they speculated that Trump might be lying about having coronavirus. After all, he lies about everything, right? Journalism teacher and Sydney Morning Herald columnist Jenna Price developed the theme. Does anyone believe him, or is he simply trying for the sympathy vote, she tweeted. There was zero sympathy from 10 News political editor Peter Van Onselen, who tweeted, I'm surprised Melania gave Donald COVID-19 because she's done such a good job socially distancing from him. Hilarious. It was almost, but not quite as funny as one of his balanced newspaper columns in The Australian. Van Onselen, who regularly co-hosts the project, is no longer sure if he's an entertainer or a serious political commentator, and so has become neither. ABC broadcaster and producer James Findlay reacted to news that President Trump had a potentially life-threatening illness by tweeting, there's a bottle of champagne in the fridge and it's getting opened right now. And that's how he tweets before he opens the bottle. The tweet was later deleted. Occasional Sky News guest Dee Madigan had no such regrets about her awful tweet. 2020 has slightly redeemed itself, she wrote upon hearing that the President and First Lady had tested positive for COVID-19. Imagine being so ghoulish that you believe your year gets better when someone you only know from television contracts a potentially life-threatening illness. When one of her 49,000 Twitter followers chided her for being glad someone got sick because, you know, politics, Madigan doubled down. I-D-G-A-F, she wrote, which is apparently how the cool kids write, I don't give an F. Telstra hoped the Most Awful Person Award might be given to a corporation. Good luck getting Australia's largest telco to provide fast internet, but they sure can deliver high speeds when pandering to woke Trump haters. While Telstra staff took hours to sort out my last billing inquiry, they needed hardly any time at all to mock President Donald Trump for contracting coronavirus. Telstra's official Twitter account posted the message, don't even try and blame 5G for this, in response to Trump's tweet. 45 minutes earlier, advising that he and his wife had COVID-19. If only Telstra's customer service was as fast. But not even Telstra could out-awful Queensland Deputy Premier and Health Minister Stephen Miles. The senior Australian politician, tweeting to the leader of Australia's key ally, wrote, Have you considered intravenous disinfectant? (laughs) Stephen Miles doesn't like Donald Trump. We get it. But surely puerile responses like this are unbecoming of a man within 1.5 metres of the Premier's chair. Donald Trump's odds of recovering from COVID-19 are much better than the odds of Trump haters recovering from Trump derangement syndrome. 
Let's play a game of spot the odd one out and see how you go. New South Wales Green Senator Maureen Faruqi, lamenting university cuts, last week tweeted, yet more devastating uni cuts, this time to valuable courses like maths, IT, gender studies and science. Now, one of those things is not like the others. If you picked gender studies as not belonging in a sentence about valuable courses like mathematics, IT and science, you'd be right. Now, this is not to say that a bachelor, or is it a bachelorette, in arts majoring in gender studies is not valuable. People with ambitions to serve hamburgers or to join the Greens would no doubt find such a course helpful. But for people hoping university will provide them with actual skills that could lead to an actual job that makes an actual contribution to society, a degree majoring in gender studies is well slightly less helpful than a certificate for in advanced puppetry. University of Melbourne Associate Professor Fran Martin, speaking in a promotional video on the university's website, says that gender studies help students answer, and I quote, what seem like simple questions about complex fields. How do we know if we're male or female might seem like an obvious kind of question, but we would suggest answers are more complex than you might initially think. We try to offer really innovative and challenging approaches to thinking and researching about these urgent questions for us in the world today, end quote. It's difficult to imagine how a young adult might need a few years at university to determine whether they're, you know, a male or a female. There are two genders. You're biologically one or the other. It's easy to tell. If you've got a penis, you're a male. If you have a vagina, you're a female. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. (laughs) Thanks for the tip. Congratulations, you've now completed a major in gender studies, but you've also avoided $100,000 in student loans. Now, for the love of God, please invest your time and money in something helpful like, you know, mathematics or science. But while the Chinese are pouring concrete on coral reefs in our backyard, Greens politicians are worrying that our young people won't get the chance to spend years learning the difference between boys and girls. That, in the middle of a catastrophic economic downturn, the Greens see gender studies as a funding priority, tells you everything you need to know about the fitness of the Greens to ever govern. And that Senator Faruqi, whom we presume is a woman, but, you know, without a major in gender studies, who can be sure... That, that she thinks she can smuggle gender studies in amongst math, IT and science without anyone noticing tells you everything you need to know about the tiny bubble Greens politicians inhabit. One can only hope that if Senator Faruqi ever embarks on a major in gender studies, she includes, you know, a side of science. The brave new world in which we live makes it difficult to know how to react to research that suggests certain ethnic groups might be aborting girls because they prefer boys. A Latrobe University study of more than a million births in Victoria found that in key migrant communities, there were as many as 125 boys born for every 100 girls. That's a male birth rate 20% higher than if nature is left to take its course. Lead researcher Dr. Christina Edvardson said the results were evidence that, and I quote, systemic discrimination against females starts in the womb. We believe that some women may be terminating pregnancies after discovering they're expecting a girl. End quote. Feminists should be outraged. There can be no worse form of misogyny than using ultrasound technology to track down females and kill them before they even have a chance to be born. But don't expect females in the womb to be defended by feminists in the parliament. 
The same women's rights activists who were screaming misogynist at Tony Abbott when he dared to glance at his wristwatch while the then Prime Minister Julia Gillard was speaking will themselves not say a word to save the lives of their unborn sisters. And how can they? If abortion is a matter of personal choice, as feminists insist, then the choice some ethnic women make to kill an unborn female for simply being female must be beyond criticism. Feminists cannot very well yell at Catholic nuns to keep your theology off my biology whilst imposing their own ideology, non-discrimination against females, on those same pregnant women. So feminists will continue to sacrifice their unborn sisters on the altar of choice in order to preserve women's access to abortion so that more females can be targeted for termination by mothers wanting sons. But then who's to say that the females showing up on the ultrasounds are in fact female? In our brave new world of gender fluidity, the females being aborted may in fact be males whose gender was wrongly assigned by a doctor, gung-ho on science and not nearly attentive enough to gender theory. How could a doctor with an ultrasound, observing nothing more than, you know, genitals, possibly know if the baby in the womb about to be aborted is actually female? If gender is a social construct, then no one can be sure that the unborn baby with a vagina and XX chromosomes about to be aborted by an ethnic woman desperate for sons is actually female. But even if we were to believe that objective scientific evidence available to doctors is still valid in determining gender, who are we to impose our Western cultural values on the ethnic communities we have welcomed here? Dr. Edvardson said that the Indian government estimated 2 million girls go missing from its population every year because of gender-selective abortion. The custom of paying a dowry when a daughter marries means that giving birth to a daughter is simply uneconomical. So the ancient dowry tradition has entrenched a modern-day preference for male children, a preference that migrants might bring with them. Dr. Edvardson concluded that there was, quote, evidence that prenatal sex selection may be taking place following migration to Australia, end quote. But who are we to criticise? Have we not agreed that the West, supposedly founded on genocide and the theft of land, is the last culture that should be lecturing others about what ought and ought not be done? We will not talk about the targeted termination of unborn females within certain ethnic groups for the same reason that we will not talk about genital mutilation of unborn of born females in other ethnic groups. We haven't the cultural confidence to say what is or is not acceptable. So the Trobe University research will quietly be filed away, even as unborn girls are quietly aborted for simply being girls, because abortion is sacrosanct, gender is fluid, and Western values have been undermined to such an extent that we are no longer confident enough to articulate them, even in defence of defenceless females. The James McPherson Show is a production of The Good Source, written and presented by James McPherson. To watch, listen to, or read more media without the SJW narratives or PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.